What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the podcast about albums with the people that made them and the creatives they influenced. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbro, and today we are celebrating the 15th anniversary of one of my favorite slithery discs, The Serpent. By Still Remains, which was released August 7th of 2007. You think they planned that? 877? Where are my numerology people at? There's probably some sort of conspiracy around, and I'm ready to hear it, and I'm ready to believe it. In 2005, Still Remains released their Roadrunner Records debut of Love and Lunacy. Kind of more of a straight-ahead metalcore fair of the time. But in 2007, they took away a lot of the, the orchestral, the... Uh, atmospheric keyboard sounds that they had integrated in the album before. And they took away a lot of the uh, yelling, the screaming that they had before and replaced it with a lot more melody and a lot more singing. And those keyboards became a dance party. And with that, we got the serpent. Now, I say that they removed them, but uh, may not have been up to them because they also had removed from them the people that played those instruments. So a lot of personnel changes, which naturally is going to result in sound changes. And it did. How did it work out for them? Let's see how they feel about it. We're talking with a vocalist, TJ Miller, of the band. And in between discussing Mariah Carey and Elvis and Michael Jackson, we get around to talking about uh, the songs in this album, which was produced by Steve Evans. Their previous effort of Love and Lunacy was produced by Garth Richardson. So two all-star producers at the helm of these albums for Roadrunner, coming out, of course, off the strength of their independent releases that they put out while they were still a local band in Grand Rapids, Michigan. A little interesting personal fact for me about Still Remains, the first time I went to go see them, I didn't know that they were playing. I didn't know who they were. I went to go see another band. They were opening up. This guy says to me, hey, this next band, Still Remains, is playing. They're white metal. And I was like, what? What is a white metal? They're like, yeah, you know, it's it's like black metal, but it's uh, it's Christian. Never heard that term since then. I did look it up. It apparently is a thing, but I have never heard anybody say it to me before or after, and it it stays burned in my memory like a cross on a vampire. So grab a glass of holy water and sit back as T.J. Miller tells us all about the events that led up to the recording of the serpent, making it, and the aftermath.
it was just an interesting time going out of where we were at with the love and lunacy you know with the touring cycle and everything and just who we were and what the band was doing there were just there were so many just kind of uh different things all working kind of against each other or or there was just a bunch of different shit going on so i mean coming out of that record we had lost our drummer and we had lost our bass player and we had lost our keyboardist and you know so we we were working with three three different members and uh as far as everything went you know it things went fairly smooth uh bone is a great drummer you know and we had known him for years and so for him to replace aj um he had some big shoes to fill aj's incredible and bone um he fit right in with everybody in the group and he i mean we had known him for years you know we just had never like lived with him and toured with him and written with him um but that went really well uh and then zach who was our original keyboard player um he brought a lot to the table you know he he brought certain you know he brought full songs to the table. Um, you know, Jordan was the primary writer at first, but Zach would bring full songs to the table too. And his always kind of gave things a different spin and um, had kind of their own sort of life, you know? Um, so we, we, we lost that. And when we had had uh, Ben and Steve join, um, you know, on bass and keys, you know, Ben was obviously filling some big shoes with, you know, trying to come in and replace Zach. Ben wasn't bringing songs to the table and we pretty much at that point had most of the songs on the record written without keyboards. I mean, we kind of didn't really have a choice, you know, we were, we were trying to write and progress as a band and we weren't going to let the member change stop us, you know, so we were just doing the best we could. And when Ben came aboard, the songs were already written. So his keys kind of just followed a lot of the guitars, you know, they didn't really fill in, like, like those big atmospheric parts that Zach was doing, Um, you know, and Ben had different gear too. He wasn't using a Korg. Um, He was using a virus TI, which was a great keyboard, you know, Um, but he's just a bit different. It's just a bit different. And then I think too, you know, (laughs) maybe all the Roadrunner fans might hate me, hate me for saying this, but like, I don't know if anyone at the time and still remains, was like a true metalhead, really, you know, for the first record, we were all still kids, you know, we were all really young. Jordan, you know, he was probably like 17 or 18 when he was writing that stuff. And so, you know, he's coming, he's still like a baby, like getting to know music and whatever. And he, he was mostly um, like a punk kid when we had started Still Remains. So, you know, he, he was the one that really kind of developed into a metalhead. I mean, I kind of came listening to, uh, grunge bands, you know, like Seattle stuff, like rock. Uh, I think Mike probably was more into that too. When we were like in the nineties, like the late nineties or the early two thousands, when we were all kind of wrapping up high school and everything, there was just a lot of cool, heavy music. I remember I wasn't introduced to screaming until I was probably like a, a junior in high school. And it was just the coolest thing in the world to me. So all of a sudden, like, that's what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? So coming out of being like a choir boy, you know, like I was in choir through high school and through junior high and everything and um, going from, 
listening to a lot of the like rock stuff and even a lot of the like more R&B or chill stuff that I would listen to, you know, going into being, um, an, you know, a vocalist for an extreme, more extreme type of music. It's definitely different, but it worked. It totally worked. And we used the melodics to our advantage. And I think that just when we were doing the serpent and we were starting to write that, you know, um, we had done so many tours with like five or six bands on every tour and everybody was super heavy. Everybody was screaming. And then all the bands were starting to sound the same. So it was kind of like we were going, all right, well, let's, let's kind of like reach down and try to pull out some, you know, some of our like other influences and things like that, just to kind of try to breathe a little bit of, uh, of fresh air into this sound. And in places it worked and in places it didn't. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? And, and it was, it was kind of cool and s- sort of weird too, because Jordan ha- was then starting to bring as much as he was more of a metalhead than anybody in the band. He was kind of writing more like the songs, like stay captive. You know what I mean? Whereas like Mike brought avalanche to the, to the table. And, you know, as far as technicality, technicality goes, Jordan's more of a technical guitar player. Mike, you know, he, he holds down the rhythm and stuff like that, but, but Mike was bringing the riffs for sure on the serpent and Jordan was bringing more of the pop element, but also a lot of riffs too. So it was a more of a collaboration and it was just kind of coming from different places we hadn't explored and looking to kind of showcase uh, our talent in different areas. You know, I wanted, I wanted people to know that I could sing too, for sure. So we tried to showcase that as best we could without completely changing our sound. Do you think if you would have done another album after the serpent, you would have gone even further into that kind of rock atmosphere? Um, not necessarily. Uh, just because I think it was kind of a realization for us that we started this band as a, a, a pretty heavy band right from the get go, you know, before we were signed, we did like a little EP ourselves, actually two, two EPs ourselves before we were signed. And then we did the full length and it was all just, it was all heavy. I mean, our earlier stuff wasn't as riffy. It was heavy. It just wasn't as like metallic. You know what I mean? It wasn't as metal, but then it was, you know, we did the serpent and we saw what worked and what didn't. And uh, I think that if we had done another record on Roadrunner afterwards, I think it would have been heavy. You know, we were broken up for like, I want to say like three years. And then we decided to demo a couple new songs and they were heavy. So, yeah, I think I think it would have been fairly brutal if we would have done another record. It it, it would have been different working with a label, you know, with Ceasing to Breathe. We kind of got to take our time. There were certain deadlines we were trying to push and stuff, but um, it had its own issues. You know, uh, it is, I feel like it turned out fairly well. I mean, that, that record was pretty sweet. Do you think that how much touring you did on of love and lunacy that also just put a strain on you to the point where you wanted to do more singing instead of just, uh, tearing your voice up with screaming. That may have played a small part. Um, when we were touring on of love and lunacy, I, I had a lot of vocal issues. Um, my sinuses are completely screwed. So like, you know, any, tour we would do across the u.s especially you're just going through constant elevation changes with the mountains and the valleys and everything the the different climates the dry the wet whatever and my sinuses were constantly an issue um there was one point where i i was working with melissa cross and when we had gone through new york 
I wanted to come in and see her because I was having so many issues. I that's a Zen of screaming lady, right? Yeah, she's the okay. Zen of screaming lady. Yeah, yeah. So like, she tries to get it so you're not pushing as hard and you have more control and whatever. And for me, I it was just impossible. Like I just balls out. Like I'm just pissed. It was really doing a number on my voice, and I wasn't getting enough sleep, and there were other issues, and it just was a it was just an absolute nightmare. So that probably played in a little bit. But I remember there were a couple different tours where I dedicated, I made a point to dedicate every night to really focus in on what's working for me, what's not working for me. And what it really boiled down to was my monitors, a ton of volume in my monitors. So I don't have to worry about anything loud behind me. I, you know, I can hear myself crystal clear. And, you know, back then too, we, we didn't have in-ears, you know, we weren't doing that. We didn't have a sponsorship with anything like that. And so nowadays I've got a pair and they're just, they're wonderful. They really, really help. They really, really help me be able to hear everything and not push quite so hard to blow my voice out. But yeah, that, that probably played somewhat of a part for me. Yeah. Also back then, people could still smoke inside venues. So that probably tore your throat up too. Yeah, I've always struggled with that. That always made me really congested and just, you just feel like shit when you're in, you know, like a super smoky environment for long periods of time. And when you're doing that every night, man, it really does take a number on you. It's easy to forget that. I, I forget that sometimes too. Like when I'll go to a show now, I'll be like, oh man, that's right. There used to be like a cloud that I would have to wade through. I mean, even if you smoke, I feel like you don't want to just be surrounded by the congestion of smoke. No, it's it's gross. It's just gross. <laughs> what was the uh, the label feedback at the time when they're hearing these songs, just kind of the direction you guys are going in? I assume that they're happy about it, but any concern there? There were There were conversations that we had with the label. I remember feeling that pressure. Um, I remember doing of love and lunacy and talking about doing another record. I remember being in Jonas's office and he's, he was kind of trying to, your, your next record needs to be big. You know, like uh, you guys should, you know, I know that you guys can sing, obviously, you know, we hear what you're doing. And I think that that was kind of in the back of our minds. I didn't want to sell out, you know, I didn't want to sign a, a record deal with them coming from working so hard establishing our sound and establishing who we were and then do one you know one record with a label and then having to just turn that you know turn it into something else i didn't want to do that but um i did think to myself like yeah you know i need to try to try to showcase myself a little bit better because i'm capable you know and i want to i want to show that talent as well um and i i remember after demoing a lot of the songs too and getting a little bit of feedback from them you know we thought we were you know we were told man still remains could be like the next papa roach you know you get a lot of these songs could be like on, you know on mtv too and you guys could make some good money you know with, with this record and for us it was like well we've been starving for a while we weren't making any money you know and we we're having fun playing shows and stuff but uh that sounded nice to be able to like afford to pay your bills and stuff on, you know, just from the music. And we, we might've got a little overzealous with that, but we didn't, we didn't want to change into a, a completely different band. I think we just wanted to showcase other things that we were capable of, you know, hence that's why we still had songs like avalanche and anemia and drop from the cherry tree, stuff like that, you know, on, on the record. We'll be back after a quick break. 
If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt-country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. Yeah, it definitely doesn't sound like a completely different band. Probably doesn't sound as jarringly different to me as it does to you, just because you were the one making it. You know, to me, it sounds like a natural progression from one to the other, especially sure. in retrospect, going back and listening to them. But I'm sure at the time you're thinking, and also your fans are thinking, you know, they didn't have this much singing before. Now there's so much of it. But yeah, and, and people, especially like metal kids, they hate that. A lot of them do anyway. And, and I, I get that. I get that, especially from, you know, if you hear a record like Of Love and Lunacy. And granted, there was a lot of singing on Of Love and Lunacy, right? But like there wasn't full songs, you know, it was mainly just like some catchy parts. Yeah, Maria wasn't on Of Love and Lunacy. Exactly. You know, um, even Stay Captive wasn't on Of Love and Lunacy. Well, Stay Captive, I mean, that's not le- That song is a banger. I mean, that's, <laughs> you yeah. need 10 more of those because that song I- is incredible. I will say out of the more like melodic songs that we did and regardless of my my feelings on the album um i mean i'm proud of it in a lot of ways i am but um some things i'm not so proud of you know what i mean <laughs> you know what i'm saying but like uh stay captive was a banger and i remember when we were writing that i don't know i don't know what it was about that song it wasn't any pressure at all but i just i knew from the moment Jordan had played it for me. I knew, I knew the melodies in my head. I just knew it. I knew, I knew that this song was going to be like full on singing. I just knew it. Like the song basically just told me, this is the melody you need to sing in the verse. This is the melody you need to sing in the chorus. And this is what this, it just told me what it needed. You know what I mean? I didn't need to sit there and think about it. It was just there in my head. The other songs a little different didn't come like that but stay captive was just it was like complete before i even wrote it or wrote words for it you know what i mean i just it was there it was already in in existence and was that one of the earlier songs you guys wrote for this album yeah it was um i want to say it was like it was probably like the second or third I, i feel like that we wrote for the record do you know for sure what the first was I'm only asking because you said second or third as if you knew like, well, I know this one was number one. So this had to be two or three. You know what? I feel like the earlier songs that we wrote were like Stay Captive, Anemia. And did you know immediately when you finished Stay Captive, like that was going to be the the single? No, I didn't. Roadrunner did this contest early on for a fan to make a music video. And we had a bunch of people like make videos and they submitted them themselves. And so that was kind of like the first video and it was for wax walls. So that's floating around. You might be able to find it on YouTube and Zach, our old keyboard player made a video. He submitted, <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was still a good friend of ours, you know? And he's, he's just like, man, that song's great. Like I'm going to, I'm going to make my own video. And so he and a few other friends of ours got together and they made this hilarious video for it. But that's not the one that actually won it. There was another kid that won it. 
but then after that yeah it was stay captive was the 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 music video the single that we went and did a video for you know yeah wax walls is an interesting song and one of my favorites on the album just because it does still have the aggression and it's got obviously big hooks and choruses and then it has that cool like single note machine heady breakdown that's Stay Captive does have a music video, though, like you said. And, um, you know, you were at one point you had a cosmetology license, right? Yeah. Well, no, I ha- I got a degree in cosmetology. I never got a- I never got a license. Oh, did you get any of the five licenses? We got cosmetology license, pilot's license, fishing license, driver's license, and then license to kill. You get any of those? I got the I got the last one. um and i did get a driver's license yes so did you do the hair for the band for the music video no no i you know i I, when i was younger i I, my dad wanted me to go to college and i had no clue what i wanted to do and just growing up in the like the punk the punk and hardcore scene everybody's got crazy haircuts and coloring their bleaching their hair out whatever my dad was like you need to go be a plumber i was like i don't want to be a freaking plumber wants to do that you know like and i had to figure something out so i was like all right i'll do hair like i was i was cutting some of my friend's hair and like doing some color and so i was doing that to my own and i was like well i'm all right at this like if i need to go to school for something i'd rather just do that because it's artistic did your dad specify plumber i think that just at i mean my dad works in skilled trades you know he works in tool and die and i think that he just wanted to see me do something um where i could make good money you know and doing doing a, an apprentice program was something like that or electrician or something you know you could make some pretty good money doing that but like i just wasn't interested that's just i just wasn't interested at all i had no interest in being in construction or anything like that well, Mario and Luigi always had all those gold coins, so I can see where he would think that that's a lucrative business. But <laughs> why was the album named The Serpent? I felt at the time that um, a lot of the subject matter that I was writing about, digging deep, there was a lot of dark stuff going on. And I just I felt as though The Serpent was kind of an appropriate theme for that. It's uh, The Serpent is a, more of a metaphorical, like, almost like a, a, a biblical reference, you know what I mean, to temptation and to sinfulness or, or whatever. We, we touch on that a lot with um, kind of where I was raised, how I was raised, some things that I was um, trying to sort through mentally with my childhood at that particular time in my life, and it just seemed appropriate. Well, I was going to ask that. I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. That uh, the word serpent in general is kind of has a biblical connotation. You know, normally someone would say snake. So yeah. I didn't, uh, and I know that you guys have a kind of a uh, religious connection to some extent. So I didn't know, if, but there's not really a whole lot of uh, advertly religious subject matters on the songs versus maybe past material. So I didn't know if that was uh, if there was a connection there. But you've kind of confirmed that. I mean, I th- I think that there's there's a connection. Um... To biblical things from an artistry standpoint, I mean, I think that uh, 
I don't know. It's it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to explain, and it's it's a topic that just it it probably always will get brought up. It always has gotten brought up. It's like if I write if if I start a metal band and I write a write a song about working construction. Well, we're not a construction band, but if I write a, happen to write like a song or two about uh, things that pertain to my faith or lack thereof or whatever like all of a sudden you know you're a christian band you should just be able to write what you want and you don't really need to clarify it any more than it's just it's metal for you to be a real christian band you have to wait five years and then deny your faith yeah (laughs) that seems to be the thing huh yeah it's very strange (laughs) you have to make a public statement you can't just like no longer believe it and let it rest you gotta let everyone know hey just so you know those albums worth of material I wrote about this thing that I believe in, I don't believe in it anymore. It's, it's weird, you know, and it's unfortunate that, that bands have to really put that out there because honestly, that might be a lot of your fan base. But one thing that I would say to that fan base is like where, where these people are at personally, it's none of your fucking business. It's none of your business. Dancing with the Enemy is the other single, and that's where, you know, really the keyboard part uh, comes out. I mean, the rest of that al- the album kind of has the dance. I don't know if dance is the right word, but, you know, it's it's less of an organ cathedral kind of keyboard and it has more of the synth elements. And I think those work, too. I think on that song in particular, it really works. And there's a, another song, it might be Sleepless Nights Alone, where it kind of starts off as piano and then goes into, like, more synth. And I think that's a really cool effect to use. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that song actually. That's Sleepless Nights. I mean, it's definitely one of those tracks that uh, doesn't sound like a Still Remains track. But um, I think that song, that worked better. I mean, Dancing with the Enemy was a song that. uh, I, I, I feel, I feel bad, like throwing my, my true, true feelings out there about it. I mean, I don't, I don't like that song at all. You know what I mean? We barely played it. No, no offense to any of the guys. I, I, I love you guys. Um, I didn't want to do that song. <laughs> uh, it, it was just tough, you know, like that, that song, I don't feel like is a great representation of who any of us really are as people. And I, I think that um, I, I really don't know where that song kind of came from. I mean, I, I know Jordan had written it. Um, he was stoked on it. I don't know if he envisioned the vocals going like they did. Um, but with that, with that song, I, like I said earlier, you know, I, I try to listen to what the song needs. And because of that, of what that song was, it needed the vocals to be the way that they were. Was that a hit in Europe? Did that have uh, some traction there? Um, it might have had some in the UK. I feel like it was. I feel like that's a, that's like a song that some people that's like the song they know by you. To be honest, I heard a lot about Stay Captive over there. I mean that that was a song that was a, a bit bigger. And the, the Serpent did well in in the UK. It didn't do as well here at all. But you know, we were we had we had been more established over there. I think. I think um, that's just an inherent Roadrunner thing. You automatically have a a, a presence in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's way more of a household name. And 
this the sort of media that they have over there for for heavy bands is um how do i put it it's it's more mainstream and i think that fans over there are just used to hearing bands do more of kind of what we did on the serpent rather than the heavy the heavy heavy stuff you know what i mean it's it's if you think about it the bands that were getting like really big here at the time were like as they lay dying um august burns red bands that were super heavy and super in your face but the catchiness of them were it was mostly guitar driven uh where whereas you know so they those types of bands weren't really getting big at the time in the uk we had kind of blown up there before and i feel like it was because of the melodic vocals we'll be back after a quick break you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping you feel me loading them up on it, it only takes structure and, and you know just paying attention to the climate of the game yeah. Nah, man. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. I gotta lie. Don't play with it. Take that shit serious. Well, both of those, so both uh, Stay Captive and Dancing with the Enemy do have music videos. Did you, And I know you said that there was like a fan submitted one before, but did you guys have any input in the videos of the ones that you actually made? Yeah, we did. And it, it was unfortunate. I, I wrote a treatment for Stay Captive and I had sent it to the label and it got shot down. Whereas I wrote the treatment for the Worst Is Yet to Come video and they loved that. And it, it was easy to, to make and everything. Um they didn't like the idea I had for stay captive. And so they sent us three different ideas that we could pick from. And what they had written for stay captive was it looked cool on paper. It didn't really come together great in a video sense. And, and neither did the dancing with the enemy video. I mean, I remember seeing a lot of shots with that fisheye lens of like nighttime, cool, like city lights. Um, and it was just like a beautiful, kind of beautiful presentation that they had sent me for what they wanted to do with the video. And I just remember shooting the video and seeing the cuts when it came back and it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I feel, I feel somewhat responsible for both videos kind of not turning out, you know, Um, I had gotten these treatments and it didn't have a lot to choose from, but they were the best ideas that we were sent. And, um, yeah, the videos didn't really work the greatest. I think the dancing with the enemy video is pretty cool with the, the fisheye. I mean, that's a kind of a unique thing to do a whole video in. And you guys are kind of like standing in a circle. And since there's more of you than a normal band, it kind of looks, uh, unique. And I think that's a cool visual yeah. of it. Um, and then the stay captive video kind of looks like the, the movie spun starring Brittany Murphy, where they're addicted to crystal meth. And it's got these, this, uh, couple kind of fighting in a house and you guys are, playing in the street, which when I have band practice in the middle of my neighborhood, the HOA shuts me down, but you guys had no problem. And uh, 
I, I think both are kind of cool. You are wearing a sports coat in the uh, State Captain video for some reason. I think that's a, a unique choice as well. Yeah, I thought I looked so cool. <laughs> but uh, but I don't think either of them are like bad or embarrassing or anything like that. Oh, that's good. That's cool. The undesired and an undesired reunion has my favorite lyric of the whole album. I hope you disappear again. Hard. Was that about somebody that you had just run into or something like that, that you didn't see it for a while and you didn't want uh, to see him when you saw him? Sort of, yeah. It was about somebody that I, I hadn't seen much in a while, but had just communicated with. And that was kind of, uh, that song was kind of a reaction to that. I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. They don't want to see people they know, you know? Yeah. Walking around. Um, but no, I, I really do uh, think that that's a uh, easy to connect to thing, especially, you know, someone from your past. Sometimes you see it reminds you of not only that person and that relationship you had, but who you were at the time that maybe you didn't want to be. I think that that's a, a universal thing to to connect to. I think I think that's a really cool, like single line that you can immediately get your own interpretation of without having to know too much more. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's it, definitely speaking from the heart. You know, I, I certainly just was really hoping that uh, I didn't have to see or speak to this person again for at least a very long time. You know, you can apply that, you can apply that to a million different scenarios. And just to say those words, to to actually be able to speak them, like kind of feels good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Uh, the river, I always felt like, um, it ends kind of abruptly as if maybe there was like more to the song that you guys cut out or anything like that. Or was that just like a, you wanted to do kind of a cool ending? No, it, um, that's just kind of how it ended up turning up. I did have an idea. Like I really wanted, there were three tracks on the record that I wanted to kind of go back to back to back without, I mean, definitely you'd have to split the tracks, but definitely keep the music going in between almost like a movement Um, and it was because Jordan used to like, before we wrote the river song, I think Jordan had the riff for the chorus of that song and he would play it slow with like some delay on it. And it was just so pretty and it kind of tied in to Maria. Like it could have, could it could both those songs could have tied in together. And then there was one other one too. And I can't remember which one. But in my mind, it made sense for these three songs to just flow so perfectly, like into each other. Like when you guys did Maria, Maria kind of being more of like a ballady song. Did you uh, have any sort of preconceived notions of how that was going to be received? Or were you excited like you're talking about? You're getting to do all these other influences to kind of do something that's just uh, an unbridled like. Yeah, uh, that song was a bit different because um, for one of how melodic it is, and how slow it is, how, how chill it is but also because it's a song that kind of builds in a progression. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not like a, like a structured like pop song. So I wasn't really sure what was going to happen there. I was hoping that the way that it crescendoed like would make sense to everybody as far as starting out from, you know, being super quiet to going and just 
hammering it out at the end and for it to just kind of crumble at, at the, you know, at the tail end of it. You know, I feel like we did get a lot of positive feedback from that track it, as different as it was. Yeah. And also super smart that people may not remember is, you know, this comes out in 07. So this is prime MySpace era. So any girl or guy, any person named Maria is going to put this as their profile song. So that's free advertisement. Who did the album cover? The, the album, the album artwork, I kind of felt, uh, I've, I've, and I felt this with both records, like the artwork didn't work how I wanted to either. Um, I wanted more pictures, more content, more substance in the booklet. You know what I mean? Or even to be able to have, um, something a little more interactive that was like almost like a paper sleeve or a cardboard sleeve, but that was just, um, just had way more content in it just to make, just to make something completely, totally different. Um, but Roadrunner wasn't back then, they didn't really have a lot of, um, capabilities as far as doing things like that with, with their, with their art, especially if you chose to work with their, um, their design group or at least their art, their art group. So I wasn't super excited about how those two albums were put together. Uh, of Love and Lunacy, I thought the I thought the art the artwork was a bit better. We kind of we made that work a bit better, but the serpent, I don't know, I don't the the cursive with the snake just kind of going through the the booklet. I just thought we could have done that better. I do what I do like about it is that it's got kind of like this minimalist thing where it's you know white backgrounds, name of the band, yeah. egg. Yeah, yeah. the The cover turned out cool, and that was that was the goal. We wanted it to stand out, obviously, and the cover did turn out cool, but I, I didn't feel like the inside of the of the booklet really went a lo- like really connected to, to the cover that well. Yeah, I can understand that you, as far as the full layout of the album versus just the cover. Yeah, like I wanted to have more pictures of different things, not just not just the snake moving around or not just the egg you know, maybe some other things, you know, some other symbolistic things to just make it, make it bigger than just a snake and an egg. Or maybe a gallery of some of your favorite serpents. You got Ka from the Jungle Book in there. Yeah, you got Ka. Who else do we got? We got Nagini from Harry Potter. Okay. Uh, we got Anaconda from the legendary movie Anaconda. Starring Ice Cube and Jennifer Lopez. And Anacon- Anaconda. And the Anaconda. Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget him. What other uh, what other famous snakes we got? I was trying to think of famous Marias. You know, there's Maria Menounos from Extra, undefeated at WrestleMania. <laughs> there's Mariah Carey. <laughs> I think that's a bit of a stretch. Hey, isn't there like Maria Carey? She sings that, uh, that Christmas song every year. Hey, well, I'm actually a, a big uh, Mariah Carey fan. That song, uh, Obsessed, that's about Eminem. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, I do. Hard, tough. Uh, Music Box was one of the first albums I ever owned. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Dream Lover, where she's like in the tire swing. Take me up, take me down. Yeah, yeah, I remember that song. Absolute banger. The Boys to Men, uh, I want to call the duet, but I guess there's seven of them on the song. But um, (laughs) One Sweet Day, that was another one. Back then, I was in junior high, and she had just broken out and like gotten just ginormous. And... uh, Back then, you know, doing what I was doing, I hadn't been introduced to metal at all. I mean, my parents just listened to a lot of Christian music and like there was R&B around like the kids at school and I hadn't heard Nirvana yet, you know, 
Um, like I remember hearing her singing and she had like 20 freaking octaves, you know? So it's like, how can, how can you not be impressed by that? That was crazy. And she would weave those octave ranges into those pop songs. That's what was impressive. So you'd have this structured pop song that she would just throw that, you know, full range into. Yeah. She could just hit that note in the middle of a melody. No problem. Like, like it's nothing, you know, it's like, how do you even like, how do you even reach for that? How do you even reach for that? You, she didn't even have to reach. She just freaking grabbed it. She flew up there and grabbed that note. It was nuts. She flew up there. Yeah. She, she, she didn't have to reach. Right. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, I got to stretch. It was just like, bam. She just teleported up there. I don't doubt that she owns some sort of cloud that would float her up to the note by any means. I mean, that seems very on brand for Mariah Carey. Yeah. She probably has something like that. So Nirvana was a big band for you then? First band, yes. But I would say if you want to be like technical, when I was a little younger, I was really into Elvis Presley. Like really into Elvis Presley. I loved Elvis. I would just ride my bike around and I would listen to Elvis Presley. I remember that and like Michael Jackson Thriller, I would listen to a lot and hearing the the different rock influence you know, that he kind of like brought into that record too, you know, with Eddie Van Halen and um, some of the other tracks just went super hard. But so that pop mentality is kind of always ingrained in me as even, you know, writing metal songs or whatever. Um, but yeah, Nirvana was huge. And it was probably because it was so simple. So much emotion. I mean, Kurt had so much emotion, so much passion yeah, Michael Jackson, I know that Thriller, of course, is a masterpiece, but Dangerous, I was like, oh, this is the hardest thing I've ever heard in my life. And the song Dangerous, to me, was just like so heavy. Steve Evitz is the producer on The Serpent versus Garth. Garth. Yeah, that's the right amount of Gs. Garth Richardson, who did uh, Of Love and Lunacy. Uh, Steve Evitz, uh, of course, a renowned producer, but not so much for the style of music that is on The Serpent. So uh, seems like an interesting choice. How did that even come to be? Steve Evitz had done things like the Dillinger Escape Plan, which is obviously, you know, all of his work with Dillinger has been incredible. But he also did, like, at the time, there was like a new Story of the Year record that came out. And the tones and the songs just sounded so good. Um, and Steve, so it's it's like he had kind of the the more structured kind of like catchy mentality that, that we had while also understanding um, metal and hardcore. I mean, Steve produced, you know, a lot of the very like first big hardcore records. I mean, he, he produced Satisfaction, you know, Hatebreed. He, he was producing a, just a, a ton of the very first like huge like 80s hardcore bands. And so he, he knew his shit. He knew his shit from the heavy aspect to the melodic aspect and kind of, the different genres in between. I mean, I remember talking to Steve and uh, he was telling me about how um, when Converge was doing the Jane Doe record, uh, Kurt had wanted Steve to do Jane Doe and instead Kurt ended up doing it himself. But I think that he wanted to kind of co-produce that record with Steve. And I mean, I was stoked about that, that Kurt would look to Steve for that because I mean, Conver Converge is probably my favorite metal band. 
so th there was an admiration for Steve there. And um, I, I had heard a lot about how hands-on he was uh, with recording vocals. And I, I wanted somebody to, to work with me very hands-on. Garth wasn't as hands-on with Still Remains overall. He was, he was more hands-on with me. But I don't know. I don't know. Steve, Steve, it's it's like on on one end of the spectrum you've got Garth like on the on one side, and then on the other side of the spectrum you got a guy like Ross Robinson who will get in your face and he'll push you and he'll spit on you or you know he'll slap you or whatever, and and he pushes you to get this raw emotion out. And Steve was kind of in the middle, you know, he's not as extreme as Ross. Um, but he's not as, um, he, he wasn't as hands off as Garth was, you know, um, Garth tried to get good takes, but I think Steve was more invested in, in the songwriting. We spent a lot more time in pre-production with Steve. Um, we spent a lot more time talking about lyrics. We spent a lot more time in the booth. So working with Steve was more of like a collaboration than with, uh, Garth where he's just making sure you guys get the best sound and Steve wants to get the best songs maybe. Yeah, it was it was more so like that. I think that's a better way to put it. You know, I think what had happened is we had um, we were talking about recording and a lot of the guys, I think we were kind of eyeballing. Just were so booked up. And I don't remember if Steve just happened to have an opening at the last minute and we were stoked about the story of the record and stoked about his discography. But we liked working with Steve a lot. I would do it again, you know, even with like a, a like a super metal record. I would he if if I had to go, you know, just just judging from the different producers that I've been in a studio with and and either recorded with or for Still Remains or with other things like I feel like I would I'd probably like to get in a room with Steve again over over anybody. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that you, on these two Roadrunner albums, you work with two of the biggest producers of all time in, in like heavy music. So yeah. um, you have a pretty good uh, experience as far as that goes. But um, is there somebody that maybe you would have liked to work with that you didn't get to just like as a, a fantasy pick? Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if it would be good for a Still Remains record, but I would I would love to get in a room with Kurt Ballou. I just love I love how raw his drums are and how nasty his tones are. I love how he can just capture raw emotion. There's just like so much feedback and like his records just sound either just devastatingly sad or just absolutely just fucking pissed. And um, yeah. He's an incredible engineer. Like I would, I would love to be in a room with that guy. And you know, he clears the board after he records something. So you like, once it's done, it's done. You can't ever go back and like do it. I mean, I think that's cool. I think that's sick. That's yeah. like, you know, it's a time capsule. You can't mess with it later. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Um, but even so, like I have enough faith in his abilities to where you could, you, if you had to start over, if you had to do the same record twice, you'd probably get two different records that both sound absolutely pummeling in their own respective ways. What's something that you would do differently with the serpent? Not necessarily um, something about it that you don't like, but something with these, the same body of work, the same group of songs, 
the same mentality that you're going into it with something that you would have done differently to more perfectly execute that original vision that you had back when you guys went into make it. I would have liked to have had some more time to fill the missing roles in the band and more time to write and record. I remember demoing in this little studio here in Grand Rapids that we were trying to demo these songs. And I just, I felt like it was going so quick and that the songs, and you know, we wrote of love and lunacy fairly quick too, honestly, but I just, I wish that we would have had more time to chew on things before we pulled the trigger. The album does end with avalanche, which is completely screaming and very much uh, an of love and lunacy style song. Um, Was that, deliberate to kind of give the fans of that sound something to as a a little reward. Hey, you made it to the end of the album. We appreciate it. Here's avalanche. I mean, it's a, it's so it's almost jarring how much different it is than the rest of the album, but it's sick. I mean, I love that song. Yeah. It's a, it's a really awesome song. I love that track. Um, That wasn't the intent when we wrote the song, but maybe more so when, you know, you've got this body of work and this is the one song that just is more brutal than all the rest you know there's no singing in it at all or anything um so whereas the rest of the songs kind of have for the most part more more hints of metal and hints of the melodics or the hints of the the more you know the singing and avalanche kind of just stood on its own it stood like on a pillar on its own and i don't know if it felt right to put it anywhere else. I don't know if it would have made any sense to put it anywhere else than right at the end, especially with how the song ends with, with the acoustic guitar kind of, you know, fade out. It's, I guess it's not technically a fade out, but um, it just, it just was perfect for the end. Was there ever consideration to just not put it on the album at all? I don't think so. No, there was one song that we tracked that was more brutal than avalanche and nobody's ever heard it. (laughs) It was super fast and super heavy and it didn't even have actual vocals. Like the vocals were, it was just a bunch of like, just like cookie monster type stuff. And we called it afterbirth and it was just kind of a joke, but I kind of wish that people would have heard it. I don't know if it's, I don't know if any of the guys have it or if it's floating around, but uh, it was brutal. I kind of wish that we could show people that. Oh, we got to find it. What's the Final Fantasy connection on Avalanche? Final Fantasy was a game that like impacted me in a huge way when I was a teenager. Final Fantasy VII. And, um, you know, I remember when we were writing the songs for the Serpent, we were working on Avalanche. I remember all the guys were downstairs at Jordan's parents' house where we used to like practice and write songs. And I remember just, I would sometimes go upstairs and just kind of chill and kind of listen just so I could hear them in the basement without being in the room and have it be so loud. So I can kind of just sit there with my lyric book and write. And I just remember, I just had this idea where I was just like, this is the most brutal song that we've got so far for this record. I was just like, I'm going to write, I'm just going to write about something totally stupid, just or or ridiculous. And I was just like, I'm going to make this like brutal ass song about this video game. (laughs) And, um, the the thing about it was that 
it didn't really turn into like a joke. It just, it worked. It totally worked. And um, so many kids out there that had played the game just totally made the connection instantly. And we would get messages or people would come up at shows and, and talk about how cool it was that we had written about that. And we, we never got flack flack for that we always got props <laughs> oh yeah no i would imagine I, I feel like that uh really became a thing too like um and I, yeah there's nothing I, I mean even without knowing the connection the song still sounds sick independently so then if you are able to make that connection with somebody that would like the game you know obviously they're going to be passionate about it to to know then yeah. of course they would think that's cool so like in the beginning lyrically you know you're talking about the group avalanche and you know how they kind of were like trying to more or less like save the planet and things. Um, the chorus talks about Ares dying and then uh, Sephiroth's mother, Genova, and uh, the wishing someone would break my legs, a burden so heavy to bear is just Cloud, you know, feeling... Cloud was a, a character that didn't have it all together and he like had these like crazy breakdowns throughout the, throughout the story and um, you just you kind of see him as like almost like a Frodo Baggins type character where, you know, he's got this great responsibility. Frodo had to carry that ring into Mordor to get it killed or to, or to get it destroyed. Whereas, you know, cloud had, he had, he know he knew what he had to do in order to save humanity. And that was probably a lot for him to have on his shoulders. What is your favorite thing about this album? When I was recording of love and lunacy with Garth, I was really struggling. I was having a lot of vocal issues. I, my voice was just blown out. Like that whole recording, I mean, everything that made it on, on that record, my voice was in awful shape. And I don't know really why. I don't know if I w had just pushed so hard that I had just, just shattered it for a while. Um, but if you listen to the EP before of Love and Lunacy, my scream was, or my voice, I felt like was more on point as a screamer, you know, and those parts were, had a lot of screaming. And then if you look at a, a, then you look at the serpent, which was after of Love and Lunacy. By the time we did the serpent, I had worked the kinks out. I had figured out my monitor situation. I knew exactly what I needed in order to be able to um, keep that like stamina for, for my screaming and to not blow myself out. So like, Whereas on some of the days where I would do of love and lunacy, I would get in the booth and I would just scream a few lines and I'd be like, Garth, I can't do this today. Like my voice is just broken, you know, whereas with Steve, I was getting in there and I was just like downing the water all day and I could just be in the booth for like nine hours. And I'm not screaming the entire time, but we're doing take after take after take. And, you know, we'll have a break later on that we get back into it. We're just taking and taking and taking. Um, and so I feel like as a screaming vocalist that my, you know, I, I know that the record's more melodic as a whole, but I felt like my voice as a screamer was in, as was in a much better place. So I, I feel like the, the tone of my screams on that record were much better than of love and lunacy. All the guys in Still Remains are great, great musicians. They they all are very creative and they've got great ideas. And so, I can say that I'm proud of all of them. You know what I mean? Uh, I connect I connect more with the vocals just because it's kind of what I 
get consumed with thinking about and 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 writing and all of that i get consumed with how it sounds when it's played back into my ear and uh um i i could just i i felt that after that record that i had gone from being in a pretty low spot recording vocals on of love and lucy and really f- i remember when that record came out and like i mean i was stoked but i i knew that my performance lacked on of love and lunacy. I knew that my voice was not tip top. It is not how I wanted it to sound. And I was at the time unable to scream like, like me, like TJ, you know? And so when I got back into do the serpent and the screams ended up just, it was, they were just smooth, like butter. Like it, it, it just came out and it was great. They sounded awesome. And then this, the singing, you know, like granted, you know, I don't, I don't really connect with a lot of the songs on the record at this point. And that record did what it did. And and I I was proud that my voice as a whole, at least sounded good, you know, that like the singing was on top. I got a lot of of compliments in the studio from Steve on um, like pitch accuracy when I was singing and doing my takes. And I, I was able to, I was able to just showcase the dy- the dynamics of what I can do with my voice. You know, you got the low, low screams on Avalanche. You got the more higher ones on tracks like an- Anemia. But then you've got Mike and I just harmonizing on a bunch of these songs. You've got it where I'm actually singing like lead through a whole, tr- you know, a whole few songs. And I just, I felt like, wow, like I kind of came out of my shell. And, uh, I, th- I think everybody in the band was kind of looking for me to kind of come out, out of my shell a little bit. I, th- I think the label was, and I feel like I did that, you know. Um, I-, I wish we had written different songs, you know what I mean? But uh, it is what it is, and, you know, Still Remains put out some good stuff on The Serpent, and I think that um, we needed some time away for a bit, and then when we did see some debris, we-, we got our bearings together and got refocused. Thanks so much to TJ for discussing The Serpent with us. And you can keep up with TJ on Instagram at TJMiller underscore TJ Miller. He's working on a project right now with Matt Marquez of Norma Jean fame. Maybe more artist fame. But he's famous, all right? In these drumming streets. These drum circles, I guess, is a better term for it. They got something cooking up that they keep on posting about. Some more to come with that. Jordan Whalen of Still Remains fame is, hey, I keep on saying of fame, when I'm clearly the most famous out of all of us, but Jordan Whalen is in the band Kill the Lights, which is kind of a super group of sorts, so you can check them out. They're doing big things currently on tour, putting out music, really cool stuff, really cool to see these guys still making music and doing things that they're passionate about. And you know what I'm passionate about? I'm passionate about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash meetmeepod. I'm passionate about sending you a t-shirt. Meetmeep.bigcartel.com. And I'm passionate about continuing to put out more episodes of the Meet Meep podcast each and every week that I feel like it. So follow me on the Instagram at 
Meet Me Pod. And be sure to check frequently on your Spotify when you're leaving five stars, on your Apple Podcast when you're leaving five stars and writing a little review talking about how smooth my voice is. And until then, my name is Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meet. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye.